Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this privilege to be humbled by your Spirit, to be led in what is the only way, the true way that leads to life, Father. Thank you so much for sanctifying us. Thank you for all the little victories in our lives, all the things worthy of our celebration, Father. Thank you so much for reminding us of those things. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to partake and break bread together and celebrate such things together as a family, as we are encouraged by each other's faith along the way. Father, we pray for those that can't be with us this evening, and we pray for those especially that are still lost. May they be humbled and brought to Christ themselves so that we might have additional brothers and sisters in Christ for all of eternity. What a wonderful blessing that is to even think about. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work to make an evening like this a reality. We do just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. <clears throat> Again, deceitfulness of sin, part 51. Uh, the Spirit brought out a good perspective on Tuesday on the coattails of the uh, theme I would call it a theme, we pervert everything theme that's sort of been kicking off our lessons as of late. And as has been his method from the outset, he is really leaving no stone unturned. And I personally love it. It's, you know, it can be painful at times, but what's better than to be honest in front of the Word of God? If you're going to be examined by anyone or anything, it might as well be the truth, right? And that's a beautiful thing. Uh, for example, there are apparently some who um, needed to hear the following up here on the board. This came out on Tuesday. Doing nothing is an activity, <laughs> believe it or not. In the spiritual life, in our walk with Christ, doing nothing is actually a decision. So it's actually something. It's an activity. It's just nothing. It's a choice. If you choose to say, well, I choose to do nothing. You've just made a decision, taken a stance, rejected the Lord's unction. To follow Jesus implies real activity, thoughts, behaviors, a.k.a. everyone's favorite word, obedience. So to do nothing really is disobedience. And it's a choice. And I think that's what the Spirit's saying. Again, He's leaving no stones unturned. If you choose to say, I choose to do nothing, you've just made a decision, taken a stance, rejected the Lord's unction to follow Jesus, implies real activity, thoughts, behaviors, etc., a.k.a. obedience. Somehow, modern Christianity, at least in America, has become accommodating to something destructive called laziness. Um, modern Christianity has become accommodating the laziness, you know, the I choose to do nothing. I'm not as bad as the person who's doing something bad. I haven't gone in like that direction. I'm just going to sit here kind of in neutral zone, play Sweden for a little while. Um, and I think that modern Christianity promotes that and propagates it and even enables such so-called Christian living. I've taught on this subject multiple times in the past and also written more than one blog to complement those teachings. 
So apparently, this is an issue. I wouldn't be teaching it otherwise. I think what the Spirit's getting at is very simple. When we are saved, think of it this way. When we are saved, we are recruited into Christ's army. So we're new recruits in an army, and an army has a purpose. And it's not really just to sit there in the trenches and share cigarettes. Um, we are recruited into Christ's army, and like the U.S. Army, it's at this point that our spiritual service of worship, a la Romans 12.1, truly begins. So it's not, we don't arrive and then that's it, we rest and wait for heaven. That's when our service actually begins, when we're saved. So there's much, much more in front of us, in other words. And that apparently isn't a popular message in Christian circles, at least not in modern times. What I mean to say is that salvation implies a new purpose. Salvation implies a new purpose. It doesn't just mean that we are called to kick our heels up. So I just want to allow Holy Scripture to give us some meaningful perspective on this. Uh, it can be a sensitive subject. Like I said, I've, I've taught it in the past. Um, but there's a lot of Scripture on this idea so let's start here. Go to Matthew eleven twenty seven. Matthew eleven twenty seven. Again, the theme really kicking off. Not doing nothing is an activity. It's not a good one. Because it's running contrary to the Lord's will for us. I mean, even learning is something. So that's included in doing nothing. At least you're here doing this thing. That's a very good thing. Very good thing. Because it's the word of God that will convict you. Uh, beyond just learning the Word of God, to implant motivation in you as we've been learning. Motivation that counts rather than just doing things in a religious sense. You'll be motivated to do things, and in that motivation is the sphere of it all, and you'll be blessed as a result. That's what the Spirit's been teaching us. Matthew eleven twenty seven. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, He says, upon me, upon you. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I just mentioned that, right? For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And then He says something further. He develops this even further. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What do you see there? You, see, you basically see two references to labor. And it's an, it's an oxen analogy. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. It implies, one, a yoke. In other words, you're being sort of saddled in, yoked into uh, a plowshare, if you would, uh, getting ready to... Do labor. You're being yoked into this position, been recruited as a soldier, however you'd like to think about it, but you've been yoked. Uh, and if you know what a yoke is, it's that thing that goes over the oxen, right? They usually come in pairs. Uh, you get yoked in and you the two oxen pull together. And so it's really good to be yoked with Christ that way. But he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He doesn't say there's no burden. Light is a relative statement. And that's what we have to think about. He doesn't say there's no work. 
So sitting still isn't really an option. You don't put a yoke on an oxen just so he can stand over there and, you know, do nothing all day. You put a yoke on him so he can do labor. We've been yoked at salvation to do labor. And uh, because we're yoked with him, relatively speaking, as opposed to, say, religious practices, the burden's light. It's really hard to strive in the flesh, in other words. But if you labor with him, he says, my burden is light. So here's the point up here on the board. For my yoke is easy. This implies that we have been yoked. That's a very important point. He's not just trying to dismiss labor. He's saying, you have been yoked. It's just that my yoke, relatively speaking, is easy. So this implies that we have been yoked. That's an important point. The analogy is to oxen that have been purposed to plow fields. We are called fellow workers. Philippians 2.25, 1 Thessalonians 3.2, etc., etc. Because we labor for the Lord. This is the furthest thing from laziness. So he never says that we're not yoked, and he never says there's no burden. He just says when you have mine, it's easier, relatively speaking. And if you've been in any religious practice for any period of time, you know how hard that is. You're exhausted. You're in turmoil. You're miserable. That's hard. Why? Because it's not through by, or by the grace of God. And so uh, what's implied here, again, my yoke is easy. It implies that we have been yoked. The analogy is to oxen that have been purposed to plow fields. We are called fellow workers, after all, because we labor for the Lord. This is the furthest thing from laziness. Without being yoked with Christ implies much greater pains endured throughout life. And so it's encouraging. So what we have isn't a supposition of no labor. It isn't a supposition of no labor. Rather, it is a relative statement, wholly implying some kind of labor minimally, some kind of labor. Now, what you're calling is my labor is different as a shepherd. My labor is typically very different than most people, uh, an evangelist or or a missionary, or, or a person with the, the gift of helps, or the gift of administration, or the gift of uh, uh, whatever it is, encouragement, there's a certain labor involved. There's a certain act, set of activities involved. Um, so we have to think about this yoke, this burden, in relative terms. doesn't mean they're non-existent. It just means relatively speaking. So it's a relative statement wholly implying some kind of labor. Philippians 2.25 up here on the board <clears throat> reads, But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and Paul calls him fellow worker and fellow soldier. You might even think of using Jesus' analogy, these two being yoked together for a time, side by side, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier. We're yoked together to minister, to go out there, spread the gospel, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Again, being yoked implies work. Up here on the board. 1 Thessalonians 3, 2. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker, in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. Well, that takes actual labor. That's what the Bible teaches us, that we are not to choose nothing. 
We're not to make that choice to just sit on our, and rest on our laurels, so to speak. First um, Thessalonians 3, 2, And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker, in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. Again, from Matthew 11:30, we have this, For my yoke is easy. Again, it implies that we have been yoked. And the analogy is to oxen who have been purposed, excuse me, to work, to plow fields. We are called fellow workers. We just read that, both of those passages, because we labor for the Lord. And that's a very good thing. I don't know about you, but I don't, uh, I don't think when I'm in, on my best day in fellowship with the Lord and the Spirit's I'm completely gripped uh, and inspired by the Spirit to live as unto the Lord, I don't want to sit still. He doesn't want me to sit still. He moves me, motivates me, he, and He's going to do that differently for each one of us. But that's one of the fingerprints of being saved, is that we are properly motivated by God the Holy Spirit. Remember, He's our power source after all. And so he, that is the last thing from laziness. The Spirit's never going to enable slothfulness or laziness. So I want to compile some Holy Scripture on this topic, and we're just going to let Scripture do this for us. Proverbs 10, 4. Go there. Go to Proverbs 10, verse 4. And the Spirit's making a point here. We'll get a little deeper in a bit. But this certainly came out on Tuesday as a key point. That we're not just to sit still. That sanctification implies movement. Uh, and much of the blessing is in the movement. Much of the blessing is actually in the movement itself. Proverbs 10.4 Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Poor is he who works with a negligent hand. In other words, the rewards are low. How about Proverbs 13.4? Proverbs 13.4 A negligent hand? You know, who cares? Whatever. I'm not going to work as under the Lord. I'm just going to kind of, you know, whatever. Proverbs 13, 4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. But the soul of the diligent is made fat. You want to be filled up? You want to be fulfilled in life? Be diligent. Be obedient. Move when the Spirit says move. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. But the soul of the diligent is made fat. How about Proverbs 18.9? Go there. Proverbs 18, verse 9. Proverbs 18.9. He also who is slack in his work. Remember, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. It's not implied that you're not yoked. It's not implied that there's not a burden. What is implied is that we are fellow laborers for Christ. Proverbs 18.9. He also who is slack in his work is brother to him who destroys. How about 19.15? Proverbs 19.15. Proverbs 19.15. Laziness casts into a deep sleep and an idle man will suffer hunger. Laziness casts into a deep sleep and an idle man will suffer hunger. In other words, that's a pitfall. Laziness has that um, snowball effect to it, right? You're lazy and you kind of get slothful. The next day you're a little bit 
lazier and a little more slothful, and it's, getting, it's harder and harder to pick yourself out of that almost physical, emotional depression to, you know, get off the couch and, and actually get to it. Um, how about Proverbs 20, verse 4? Proverbs 20, verse 4. That's what I love about the Bible. I mean, it's just so obvious. Um, it's so perfect. It's so beautiful. It's, it's an indictment on us when we're being, you know, wicked. I'm, I'm included. I'm just saying it's an indictment, but it's beautiful because it's so pure. And it just sets us straight. And it's like, you know what, Lord, you're right. <laughs> you're so right, it's ridiculous. Uh, Proverbs 20, verse 4. Because if some, you know how it goes. Like if someone else calls you a slug, how dare you? Someone else calls you lazy, it's how dare you. But if the Bible points this out in your own soul, you're kind of like, right? That's why I'm very careful right now. You see how many scriptures we're going through? Because I don't want you to think Pastor Ed saying anything about you. That's between you and the Lord. I want the Spirit to convict you if, if necessary and however necessary. Proverbs 20, verse 4. The sluggard does not plow after the autumn, so he begs during the harvest and has nothing. Doesn't even prepare, you know, this kind of a thing. Again, the point on the board, for my yoke is easy. It implies that we have been yoked. How about go to Proverbs 21, 25. Proverbs 21, 25. Verse 25, the desire of the sluggard puts him to death, for his hands refuse to work. How about Proverbs 24.30? Proverbs 24.30. There's an awful lot in the Bible on this, isn't there? Yep, there is. There really is. And it absolutely ties back to the stuff we've been learning over the last couple of weeks about fitness and readiness for service. That, you know, a sluggard is the antithesis of that. Uh, where are we at? Proverbs 24.30? All right. Pro Proverbs 24.30. I pass by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Some, this is almost an uh, analogy to some lives out there. Behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles. And its stone wall was broken down. When I saw, I reflected upon it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber. In other words, caution, my friends. I received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber. A little folding of the hands to rest. Then your poverty will come as a robber and your want like an armed man. Be careful. Caution. Uh, on that, a little sleep, a little slumber, you know, a little more, a little more, a little more, a little more. Next thing you know, you know, you're kind of like having siestas all day. Spiritually, physically, work-wise, uh, just in terms of whatever obedience or form of diligence is required. Uh, with that yoke, with being recruited as a soldier for Christ. How about Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10? That's all the Spirit's saying here. How about Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10? <clears throat> Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10. Fantastic advice. Surprise. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 9, 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, 
Do it how? With all your might, right? Do it with all your might. That's it. That's a wonderful way to live. That's a wonderful perspective to have. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom and shield where you are going. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Fantastic, fantastic uh, advice. Again, the point on the board that we're developing, though, is that we've all been yoked. As believers, we have been yoked, which implies we've been made, we've been put in the position of labor. That's our purpose, to labor for the Lord. Remember, we've been purchased. That's why the slave analogy is in the Bible. We have a master, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're his slaves. The whole analogy, through and through, throughout the Bible, is that we have labor to do here on earth. And so we cannot make that decision to sort of rest on our laurels. I think people take, you know, that, that uh, what is it, Matthew eleven thirty out of context. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. See, the Lord's basically saying, kick back. My yoke is easy. Well, I think it's easy to stay on my couch and do nothing. Well, your perspective doesn't really matter. What does the rest of the Bible have to say about this yoke, about this burden, about living for others, about the Great Commission? What does the Bible say about all these activities, about being obedient as unto the Lord? Whatever your hand finds to do, do it as unto the Lord. Do it to the best of your ability. What does all that have to do with being yoked? Certainly easy with him, but it's not gone. It's not a free pass to just sit back and be lazy, so to speak. Jesus worked hard his whole life. I mean, we know that he was a carpenter. Back then, that would have been uh, a difficult work. Think about it. There were no uh, uh, skill saws. There were no, uh, you know, air guns. No jigsaws. None of that stuff. I mean, it was all by hand. Jesus worked hard his whole life. Uh, go to John 5, 17. John 5, 17. And we know that with complete confidence because he's the one who tells us whatever your hand finds to do, right? Do it with all your might. So he was probably a rock star carpenter, you know, which is cool to think about because that makes him uh, real, doesn't it? I think sometimes we forget. We almost put him, um, he's separate, he's the God-man, but I, you know what I'm saying? He was also 100% man. He was very real. He had a, he had a, he had a job even. Hmm. A hard one. John 5.17, But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. Jesus was a worker which is why he advises us in the Bible to work ourselves. Go to Colossians 3.23. It's just a theme. You understand? It's just a theme. Work in the Bible. The more I read my Bible, the more uh, simple things get. Um, the more, uh, and I don't have the passage with me, but the more that um, uh, when Paul wrote, I believe it was Paul, if not Paul, it was Peter, uh, you know, just work quietly. And the one who's not willing to work shouldn't eat. Work, in other words, is just a primitive theme in the Bible. It's just a primitive theme. That's it. Men and women alike. 
Now, we have different callings, granted. Men have certain responsibilities. Women have certain responsibilities to the husband, to the household, etc. We know all this. But work is a primitive. It's a primitive. And anytime something's a primitive in the spiritual life, there's blessing associated with it. So I think a lot of people, uh, Christians, don't realize that if you really want to be fulfilled, work. Now, if you work as under the Lord, you bring glory to God, right? So you could be the trash man. You could be the neighborhood trash man. You could be uh, a CEO. You could be a, a dentist. You could be a, I don't know, you pick it, a teacher, right? You could be whatever. As long as you're working as under the Lord and whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Maybe you're a, um, a, a homemaker. Maybe you're a, a woman that stays home and takes care of the family or the home. And there's other things to take care of. Great. Then do it with all your might. And bring glory to God. That's fantastic. And you know what? That's where the blessings are. It's when we turn on Maury Povich. And what's that? Springer. Or some of these judge programs, right? And you sit on the couch and you start eating, you know, um, what are those little taquito things? Right? <laughs> and the next thing you know, you're like, a little sleep, a little slumber. Because that stuff's got all that ingredients in it. You just go... <laughs> Right? Cholesterol, you're just like, Pfft. and next thing you wake up, it's, you know, two hours later, and lo and behold, Springer is still on. And people are throwing chairs, and you're like, woo, you missed, there's no blessing in that. That's rotting for your soul. That's rottenness for your soul. Turn that thing off. Go do something. Go bring glory to God somehow. Maybe a phone call. Hey, you know what I was just thinking about you, old pal? Uh, I just want to give you some scripture. I was thinking about I was reading the Bible, and I came on this scripture, and it made me think of you. How about that? Okay, see you next time. That's labor for the Lord. We call that, as long as it's called today, encourage one another. Imagine that. That versus Jerry Springer. No, I'm for real. The blessing of this versus, can I even call this even a remote blessing? I don't think so. Hmm. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do your work heartily, wholly, fully, uh, vigorously, right? Heartily. Do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. So if you happen to be the local garbage man, who cares if that guy drives up in the fancy car and gives you that snicker because, you know, he's coming from a whatever, an attitude, let's call it that, and you're beneath him so to speak. Who care? What do you care what that? What do you care about what anybody thinks about your work? You know, you know, you know how much value the Lord gives somebody's opinion of you? There it goes. It's called the donut. The donut. Too many people. And Scott mentioned Ann. I was so it was a, it was a really a nice, wonderful interview with Ann because she said that. And she it was heartfelt. She said, you know, for years I was in bondage to what other people think? And, you know, why am I not this way or why am I not that way? The Lord set her free. Said, you know what? I'm going to be Ann Parent. Poor Ann. She's like, stop talking about me. It was bad enough I had to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just be yourself. Isn't that, isn't that just like this already? You mean I just get to be myself? Yeah. You're wonderfully made. Jesus made, the Lord made no mistakes when he made you. Imagine that. None. He didn't want you another way. He didn't want you like me. 
He didn't want you like Chris Fredericks. He didn't want you like anybody. Thank God, right, Chris? <laughs> he, didn't want, <laughs> he didn't want you like us. He wanted you to be you. And be happy and content with that. And stop listening to other people. Because their opinion doesn't matter. It's literally that simple. You go about your own business, and if it means you do it quietly as under the Lord, as the Bible says, then do it quietly as under the Lord. And you will be blessed. Isn't that awesome? It's beautiful. It's like freeing. But it's also the antithesis of Americanism. Because at every point, you don't go, you know, well, I'm just saying... You look like this person, or your job is, you know, whatever, and your family's ugly. You can laugh. It doesn't matter. You know, like, you're, you know, you don't have a whole lot of money, or you, whatever. Who cares? Whatever you do, do your work heartily, as for the Lord, rather than for men. That's a really important point, especially in America. Knowing that from the Lord, from the Lord, you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Jesus Christ whom you, what's that word say? Serve. Whom you serve. You serve the Lord. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. whole lot of, uh, I've had to do some, had some really difficult conversations this past week on the topic of partiality. I hate them because... It's, it's one of the hardest conversations to break through. Most people that are being partial don't understand it until you turn the lights on. Very difficult conversations um, from my perspective and from my uh, vantage point and from my sense of responsibility for all of your sake even. Without partiality. How about uh, 2 Thessalonians 3.10? 2 Thessalonians 3.10. I mean, we're just on the topic of, you know, remember you said my yoke is easy. In other words, there's a yoke implied that we're recruited uh, soldiers, that we're supposed to work as under the Lord. We are called fellow workers. None of this is, uh, you know, these aren't what we would call vapid statements. They're not hollow statements from the Word of God. They're actually plainly stated doctrines in the Word of God. What are we at? Second Thessalonians 3.10, correct? Okay. Uh, for even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. That's, now, I'm going to go out on a limb and say you're going to be losing out on some blessings there, right? For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life. One of my favorite words, not because of me, but because of the Bible, is the word discipline. I think discipline uh, is at the very root of all blessings, certainly obedience, which leads to blessings. But we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life. I, I really, as, a, as your pastor, I believe that's why he brought up something as, um, you know, so-called distance uh, from normal preaching as physical fitness. Because physical fitness is, is often an indicator of an undisciplined person, if they're unphysically fit for service, that usually means that they're undisciplined. So discipline and fitness in whatever realm really go hand in hand. 
So we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Oh, you're busy, but you're a busybody. That's a slight. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in a quiet fashion and eat their own bread. There's a whole lot in there. I don't have time to teach it, but the point is, again, up on the board. For my yoke is easy. This implies that we have been yoked. We are fellow workers, and this is the furthest thing from laziness. And then there are several nuances. I'm not going to list them all here, but I'll call them use cases of this doctrine. So we see the doctrine of hard work leading to blessing. We see that as a primitive in the spiritual life. I love it because it really takes all the, the guesswork out, and it really gets rid of all the white noise that the, that the world gives us. You know, uh, do as little as possible for as much pay. And whatever it takes to get to that point, that's good. No, because what do you mean? So what you're saying is you just want to get rich and work 10 hours a week. What I'm saying, what the Bible says, is that if you only work 10 hours a week, you have too much time on your hands. You need to fill your schedule because that's when you stop making mistakes. That's when there's too much time. I'm, I'm literally speaking from personal experience. If you have too much time on your hand, you need to fill it with something healthy too. Not brewskis, you know. I'm just saying, you got to fill it with something like reading your Bible, revisiting uh, a message, uh, making that phone call, whatever it is. Uh, do a better job where you clean toilets. Do a better job. If you sweep floors, do a better job. Do spring cleaning. Do that. I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. But don't sit still. That's bad news. There are several nuances and use cases of this doctrine in the Bible as well, such as uh, go to 1 Timothy 5.8. 1 Timothy 5.8. So these are some of the application principles in the Bible. And again, this has everything to do with the deceitfulness of sin because sin will lie to you and tell you it's okay to work 10 hours a week if you, look at, if you can work 10 hours a week and make a ton of money, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm saying if you've got all that extra time, don't use it on yourself. Don't use that freedom for the flesh, as uh, Paul would say. I think it's Galatians 5.13. Don't use that for the flesh. Use it for the Lord. That's all. 1 Timothy 5.8 But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. How about Titus 2.5? Providing for your own, that takes labor. Now, we all screw up once in a while, right? We all break all of these commandments because none of us are perfect, so don't be condemned. Just know the truth on it. Know that working is a primitive in the Bible. Titus 2.5. This is specific to women now. What about women? Be sensible. Women, be sensible. It's sensible that you are fit for service. Excuse me. Pure. Workers at home. Nothing wrong with a woman working, but uh, as far as I can see, the Bible says that the woman has a priority called the home. Workers at, uh, at home. Kind. Being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Be sensible. Workers. Pure at home. Oh, excuse me. Pure. Workers at home. Kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. 
Go to James 1.22. James 1.22. A lot of scripture, huh? Yeah, see what I mean? When you're yoked in, yeah, the, the yoke is easy, the burden is light, but there's still a yoke and there's still a burden. So easy and light are relative terms because as soon as you start depending on the human flesh, it's way harder. It's infinitely harder. It doesn't mean some of you, man, I, I seem to be working too hard. The chances of that are very low. The only time you can really look at that, uh, I believe, is if you start neglecting other parts of your life. If you become like a workaholic and now, you know, you've, you really haven't taken care of your family. Or, you know, you become a feminist type woman and all you do is work. And now the home is, is uh, out of balance because you're actually not prioritizing things correctly. As, as far as your duty unto the Lord as a wife and a mother and a, and a homemaker. James one twenty two, But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Now there's an awful lot impregnated into that, isn't there? Prove yourselves doers of the word. Doer of the word. If the word says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it heartily. Do it as unto the Lord. Well, that's, if, if you do that, that's being a doer of the word. Not, you know, la, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. How about Ephesians 2.10? Ephesians 2, verse 10. It's unavoidable, my friends. Work is a primitive in the Bible. And it's really a blessing. That's the whole point. It's really a blessing. I've had many conversations with people, uh, even in the congregation, though, that maybe they're out of work for a little while, and I say, you got to get back to work, man, especially guys. I'm like, you got to get back to work at some point, eventually. You have to, because uh, bad things will start happening. Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we would walk in them. So that we would walk in them. What? Good works. We're prepared. We are his workmanship, for, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared before and so that we would walk in them. How about Ephesians 5.13? Ephesians 5.13. I think of that, you know, a little sleep, a little slumber here. Ephesians 5.13, But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper. That's why I think, you know, a little sleep, a little slumber. Awake up, awake sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Making the most of your time. That doesn't mean becoming a, 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 an armchair warrior. It's the exact opposite. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. But there's a yoke and there's a burden. And he expects you and he wants you to work. This isn't like he's cracking the whip. He's saying, work as a primitive of your life and I'll bless you. I'll bless you. Just stay busy with my work and I, I promise I will bless you. I think a lot of people could learn that, especially in America, uh, the land of entitlement. Again, the point is that we don't misappropriate our lives once saved 
up here on the board, for my yoke is easy. This implies that we have been yoked. We are called fellow workers because we labor for the Lord. This is the furthest thing from laziness. Arguably one of the hardest workers we'll ever intimate ourselves with, Paul, described this very thing. Go to Galatians 5.13. Galatians 5.13. Because you know what? Work itself um, gives us purpose, gives us direction. Um, knowing that we can serve the Lord this way, uh, we can't always see the impact of our service. We don't always see the benefits of our labors. We don't always realize the ripple effect of our labor. We're just called to labor. What does Paul say? Galatians 5.13 For you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, so that's our great motivator, and as we've been learning, the more you love, the more motivated you'll be, and the more likely you'll be to what? Serve one another. Again, you are called to freedom. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That's the yoke. That's the burden. You'll, they will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. If you're yoked together in this thing called the spiritual walk, the uh, spreading of the gospel, the ministry, whatever your spiritual gift is, whatever that means in your life, through love, serve one another. And you don't do that if you're sleeping all day. You don't do that if you're improperly motivated by fleshly desires and gluttony and overindulgence and you, you know what I'm saying. Things that um, eject you from the sphere of love. Eject you from the sphere of service. You don't do that. And when you're ejected from that sphere, because inside that sphere exists blessings, you lose what's in there, the blessings themselves. Is your purpose to serve, to be like Christ? Go to Philippians 2, verse 3. Philippians 2, verse 3. Philippians 2, verse 3. That's all the Spirit's saying. Philippians 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, where your next Cheeto is coming from, but also for the interests of others. but also for the interests of others. How does that work? I don't know. I mean, you could probably start with the church. We always have people in need here. Um, we have an older congregation, I would say. But also for the interests of others. Again, the probing question is, is your purpose to serve, to be like Christ? I think this really tells the whole story, doesn't it? Up here on the board, this came up this past week. Perspective on sanctification. Motivation is the standard God uses within man to determine the goodness of his actions in this life. I mean, how is this message hitting you in your own soul? I don't know. 
I have an idea. Um, I don't know. How is this hitting your soul? Are you irritated by it? Are you encouraged by it? Um, where are you? You're the person with the yoke who, you know, who realizes, yeah, that my yoke is easy, my burden is light, or you're the one, you know, <laughs> trying to get it off, you know, trying to squeeze your head out of it somehow uh, so you can lay on the couch more comfortably. I don't know. But motivation really is the key. And if you don't have it yet, don't be condemned because motivation, this kind of motivation, I believe, is a maturity principle. To be wholly motivated, to be anything like Christ, requires years of development. Years. Some of you have just been saved not that long ago, like with the gospel reload. So you, you can't be, go, don't go crazy on yourself. Say, My motivation really isn't all that great most days. You know what that's called? Humility. That's a really good place to start. It's the person who lies to themselves and says, my motivation is great. Then what's God going to do with that? He can't stand that. He hates hypocrisy, right? We've learned that. Because that really stagnates sanctification. So there's our perspective on sanctification from this past week. Motivation, turns out, is the standard, or at least a standard, God uses within man to determine the goodness of his actions in this life. In other words, you can do all the religious things you want, but if your motivation is no good. Go to 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10. So you could run out tomorrow and get a second job and be like, see, I'm working as on the Lord. Are you, though? What's your motivation? Who are you working for? 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10. <clears throat> 310 reads, According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. In other words, you could build a big heap of straw, and as soon as he puts fire to it, poof, all your works, all the things you did with maybe poor motivation, poof, gone. But if it was for Jesus Christ, the rock, then they stand. If anything, fire polishes stones like that. Each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. Now what do you see there? Do you see? Work hard, gather stones, you'll be rewarded. If it burns up, you don't get any reward. If your motivation is good, if you work hard, if work becomes a primitive, you work as under the Lord, whatever your hand touches, you do as under the Lord, you receive a reward. Hmm. Sounds like blessings. Sounds like if you're obedient, if you're a good laborer, a fellow laborer, one with good motivations, one that's humble, then you're blessed. It's a simple pattern, isn't it? I bought you, I purchased you with my own blood. You're my slave now. Do as I say. And don't be like the parable says. You see what I did? 
Don't ask for all kinds of rewards before it's time. I'll dole out the rewards. You're just doing your job. Don't expect to be all rewarded just because you're doing your job. You see how awesome I am? I, I took care of my brother or sister in need. See how awesome I am? I, I did this thing. You see how awesome I am? I, I prayed and then I told everybody I prayed. I prayed for all of you. I prayed for all of you. Right? Big deal. You're supposed to get rewarded as a slave for doing what you're supposed to do? Don't we have a parable on that? Yes, we do. Matter of fact, we do. If any man's work he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. That's good news. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Again, the point the Spirit's developing is simple. Perspective on sanctification. Motivation is the standard, or I would say is a standard, God uses within man to determine the goodness of his actions in his life. And this is from Tuesday. I know there's a context here, so if you didn't get Tuesday's message, this might mean a little less to you. Surrender while you're in the net. All I can think of is that Greek word, sugklio. You remember that? It's the fish that gets caught in the net, and the more it struggles, the more tightly wound in the net it is. Stop, stop kicking against the net. In other words, just surrender. Because you're causing yourself problems. So on that note, we took a trip to the Old Testament to find some encouragement. And as Scott mentioned on Tuesday, many Bible scholars believe Israel is a picture of sorts of the believer's soul. We find an awful lot of um, analogs even today in the Old Testament. And while I understand uh, such positions, I think maybe for our purposes it's better to simply think about God's perspective rather than draw any hard lines here. In other words, I don't want to say that it's the doctrine of Old Testament means is mapped as a one-to-one mapping to our lives. I don't want to do that. Just think about how God treated Israel. And think about the principles we can glean from Old Testament uh, writings. In other words, think of the Word of God, at least minimally, as immutable. So, in other words, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Truth, the Lord's heart, it's all consistent. It's all consistent. It's no different than you living a life of integrity. One day someone does something and you respond this way. Same integrity. The next day someone comes at you this way and you, just, you, you respond completely different. Your, your integrity didn't change. It's just circumstances change. And that's how we look at Old Testament and New Testament. Circumstances. We call them administrations. Some people call them dispensations. I don't care. Dispensation is not in the Bible. But I know that he treated Israel under certain uh, premises, and he, teach, and he treats the church under certain premises. But it's the same God with the same integrity. So if you read the Old Testament, just look for God. Develop a sense of his essence. How, what, is he, what is he conveying in those scriptures? What are they, even if we're not, you know, we don't have a Levitical priest, we're not sacrificing animals, we don't have the law, uh, but yet I still see God in all of it. And you take what you've learned about God, establishes integrity, and then you come over to the New Testament, you look at it, and everything goes, whoo! It's amazing. So we took a trip down Old Testament. I just want you to think about God's perspective and that it's consistent, it's immutable, 
the Lord's heart is consistent. And with that perspective on life itself, it's quite easy to see why the Lord God treated Israel the way he did. I mean, I would expect him to treat. Sometimes I sit there and go, oh my word, he has so much more patience than I do. Right? His mercy is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. He says, I make a covenant with you, it's sticking. I'd be like, man, I don't know, man. I'm going to find some kind of loophole because you stink. Israel's horrible. That's why I'm not God, right? Don't laugh. You'd be the same way. Probably want to choke everybody out. They're unbelievable. Time and time and time and time again. The mercy, the patience, the grace of God. Someone who says there's no grace in the Old Testament is completely lost. It is wholly consistent. We understand why the Lord treated Israel the way he did. And the way he treated them is wholly consistent with the way he treats members of Christ's church, even today. There is no changing of his mind. He's the same God. Just different circumstances. No different than that analogy with you today and tomorrow. What, I mean, if you think about it, that's what perfect integrity looks like. It's impartial across the human timeline. It's impartial in every way. Old Testament, New Testament, same God. Uh, total jackass? Little do-gooder. Same God. You still need my son. Right? This one did this. This one's a murderer. This one's a cheat. This one's an adulterer. This one's a thief. This one's a whatever. Same God. I asked this one to follow the law, to prove a point, and record it all. They screwed up big time. Right? I'm asking these people over here to love, to follow the law of love. They screw that up all the time. <laughs> we just look at the mirror and go, we suck. Amen? Right? We do. We're, we're unbelievable. And God says, you know what? I already knew that. And I sent my son to die for all your suckiness. No extra charge for the super theology. What we want to understand is that God is consistent. His heart is consistent. That's what you read the Bible for. So you shouldn't be afraid to go to the Old Testament. Yeah, it's a little gnarly, and you say, I don't understand the analogies. Whatever, just read it and look for God. Look for His purposes. Look for His essence. You'll see it. That's what perfect integrity looks like, and that's our example. That's why I brought up that idea of partiality. Those, those, oh, those conversations are so difficult to have because we're so inherently partial. It might be in the same day and we treat a person from our family this way and then we treat another, a person outside of our family, maybe we don't like them too much even, this way. Same God says, love your enemies. Perfect integrity. It's impartial across all facets. Time, human timeline, person to person, people to people, dispensation to dispensation. It's the same God. That's why I get so angry uh, nowadays when people try to say there's more than one gospel. I mean, that would imply a fractured God. That would imp imply an in, uh, inconsistent God. Yeah, his dealings are different. Big deal. Same God, though. Same calling. The only way to, to, to heaven 
is through Christ. That's been the case forever. It's amazing where people bastardize um, God himself to justify um, perversions, even to the, the most beautiful basic thing we have to our name, which is the gospel truth. But perfect integrity starts there, I guess. Um, it's impartial always. With that said, I'm almost out of time. I can't believe it. Go to Deuteronomy 8.1 real quick, and we'll read this. I can't believe it. I'm out of time. I got to eh, 10 pages. I have 25. I guess the Spirit's really trying to say something. Deuteronomy 8.1. Again, this was on the note of going to the Old Testament and seeing what God has to say and looking for the essence of God and understanding that He's immutable. And so you have to say to yourself, well, maybe if I was one of these people, He would be saying the same thing to me, obviously. And the reason, he's, the reason I uh, translate, the reason I live my life or I'm, in, I'm convicted a certain way even today is because of this same God. I would wholly expect Him to act this way and to, to record these things in Holy Scripture. And I would wholly expect it to be consistent with what I see in the New Testament and in my own life. Deuteronomy 8.1 All the commandments that I am commanding you today, you, should, uh, you shall be careful to do. You see? That you may live and multiply and go in and, and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these forty years that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. I love that. Because isn't it so easy for all of us even today to say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like Christ. I love, like, unconditionally. You should see me. I'm amazing. And then the going gets tough. And, it's, and all love is off. Right? It's like everybody, it's easy to love. Right? It's easy to love when everything's going well. It's when time when the proverbial hits the fan. That's when you see what happens under pressure. And what's most important is you understand about yourself. How do you respond under pressure? What about your love? Are you consistent? Do you have integrity? Are you impartial? Right? I mean, would you be impartial enough if, if some judge came to you and said, Hey, listen, your mother had this, did this heinous crime. This person over here, you know, this 12-year-old kid stole a piece of candy. Which one do you want to go to jail? I wonder. Some people would be like, well, it's my mother. Come on, Mom. All right? You failed the test. Right there. You failed the test. That's called impartiality. Or that's called partiality. It's one of the most heinous sins of all. It's a, it's a complete breach of integrity. So he humbles us. He tests us to know our own hearts. God already knows these things. This testing was to prove to his people what they otherwise wouldn't accept as truth about themselves. Does that sound familiar? We get put to the test 
we're humbled, we're put to the test, and for many of you, let's face it, a lot of, a lot of that time it's in front of this pulpit. For whatever reason, I, I, trust, me, trust me guys, I'm going to share something with you. For years now I've been praying, hey, when are we going to get past all this like, beat them up stuff? Like, do you know what I'm saying? Because I feel like I'm just constantly doing this number. For whatever reason, that's what, you're, that's what you need. He's putting you to the test so many times. I stand there and go, man, this must, this must have stung because it hurts me going through me. I'm saying, man, this must have stung. And looking at your faces, some of you are like, yeah, it kind of does sometimes. Right? But that's how he humbles you and that's how he tests you because he's got your attention and he's able to convict you full force to know what's in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. What's the, I'll close with this. What's the greatest commandment of all that we have in the church? To love. To love. To love like he loved. The same person who said, love your enemies. That one. That love. That kind of love. Unconditional love. The impartial kind of love. We have to be tested for that so that we know in our hearts, whether or not we're going to keep that commandment. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this privilege to study your word here this evening. We're so blessed to hear truth that sets us free, Father. Thank you for your patience, your mercy, your grace, your love always, Father. It's renewed every morning. Your faithfulness, Father, we're so grateful. We just ask for your blessings as we take what we've learned out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs it so desperately. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray.